You must How's be going, man. Can you you must hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. Yes, sir. Uh, How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, everything's going good. Uh, so I think I think we've got it set up right. This is the first time using Zoom for this deal, so uh, nice. it's interesting to see. Uh, hopefully, everything goes well. But if not, yeah, it's recorded. So <laughs> <laughs> excited to be along for the ride. Perfect. Perfect. Give me one sec. Nice to see you face to face for the first time, by the way. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. as <laughs> we can get. Exactly. What's going on, Mitch? Not much, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Good. Good. It's good to see you guys. Nice seeing you. <laughs> how long you how I know this has been going on for about five years, but how long have you been keeping it up monthly, even through uh, coronavirus? Yep. Yeah. So we just moved to a virtual basis uh, in March. That was kind of the the transition right so um march april and now may so 
This is the first time we're using Zoom. Uh, so there's a little barrier to entry on Zoom versus Uber Conference, but it does allow some better some better tracking as well, some better control on the uh, interface side of things. So you're all set up there, man. It looks like you've got like a you're like you're sitting in a podcast studio there. Right. Yeah. This is actually our conference room. So we moved down to a new office. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's good. Still look a little like the next echoey and stuff, but look like the next Joe Rogan. <laughs> Rogan just signed a huge deal with Spotify to be exclusive to Spotify. I saw. I think he's like the highest paid uh, talk show guy now. Yeah, I think it was a hundred million. Wow, Brad, good for I'm him. Assuming that's Brad, right? Yeah, Ben, how are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. I've never actually. We've spoken on the phone a few times, but never seen face to face or as close as we can get here. So nice well, to meet you finally. You're lucky. Uh, have not <laughs> had to see me face to face, but eh, it had to have some time. So I expect usually the first 15, 20 minutes, people trickle in uh, and then around 520 or so, we usually have a decent turnout on the line. One of the challenges is always um, the work schedule for folks, especially inside of this group. So we kind of take it slow on the, on the intro side of things. It's all good, man. So it looks like we got a Matt on the line. How you doing, Matt? I'm good, thanks. How you doing? Can't complain, buddy. First time calling into one of these? I don't, I don't recognize you, bud. Yeah, I think you guys had a meeting in West Des Moines I went to. Oh, okay. Yep. At, a, at a restaurant lounge in the back. Absolutely. Yeah, Wobbly Boots. So that makes sense. Yeah, I was there. Perfect. Perfect. Are you from the Des Moines area, Matt? Yeah, I grew up around here. I went to Johnston K through 12. Very good. Are you looking to get into investment properties, already into investment properties? What's, what's going on there? Well, I have a mentor who has a lot of real estate. He has some really good real estate deals. He's got, he's got business in other countries, so he has some big investments that he's talked about and stuff like that, but one of them he has is really good. It sounds like um, in Texas, he has a teacher who uh, rents one of his properties, you know, for like the past 20 or 30 years she's rented. So she's always been able to pay the rent and everything. <laughs> that, that's not a bad deal. It probably means yeah. that she's a little under market, but, uh, but it's, not, <laughs> it's not bad to have a long-term tenant. Hey guys. Hi. Hey Sam. Hey Samantha, how are you? I thought I recognized you. Yeah, I'm doing good. Hey, I sent a um, client your way. You did? I did. Um, Shanice, is that ringing a bell? Shanice. She probably would have called yesterday. Mm. Today or yesterday was a busy day. So I'm sure I talked to her, but the name is escaping me. Shanice. I'm writing it down to make sure I okay. heard from her. My voicemail is empty for the first time in a while. So <laughs> awesome. 
So the way that we'll run this, guys, just so everyone that's joining the call, um, we'll, we'll, we'll take questions and answers as we go. So if you have a question, um, just kind of raise, raise hand or drop it in chat. Uh, we've got some folks on the back end here that are, that are running that. So as soon as we um, get to kind of a pause in that conversation, we'll get that question uh, spoke out loud. You can either say it while I mute you to do that, or um, we can recite it if you don't want to talk. Um, as we go through, I will try to spotlight, so it'll it'll come up on your screen if we get too many callers in here um, with whoever's speaking. Um, it's kind of weird, so bear with me through those guys. It's 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 kind of new doing the whole Zoom thing. So, <laughs> if you wouldn't have told me that it was your first time, I would have thought it was a hundred. Ah, see, let the cat out of the bag. I should say first time hosting a Zoom call. Uh, it was Uber conference last month and the month before. So unfortunately, this has been part of life recently, hence the, hence the mic, right? Um, probably, we are close to 100 on Zoom calls at this point. <laughs> and you will, uh, I've got my daughter in the room too. So if you hear a baby laughing, it's nothing weird. It's just our, our kiddo. <laughs> Is that who was watching you do push-ups the other day? Uh, yeah, so I've got two kiddos. I got a, a daughter who's almost a year, and then a daughter who's almost three. So, yeah, that was a. She was cheering me on. We had a, a push-up competition in one of the masterminds. So, we'll see. Six hundred and seventy-five. I'm. I'm like that's that's a personal record. Uh, <laughs> don't don't get me wrong guys it was like uh 33 sets so i broke that out all day long that was not at once bite-sized elephant the only way to be able to do that many what was that darson i said, I said that's the only way to be able to do that many right yeah you know uh, so let's go ahead and get started. Uh, we'll just do a slow intro. Uh, Sam's prepared some market data coming into this, kind of like we did last month. Sam, would you mind uh, sharing those stats? Yeah, no problem. Um, so what we pulled information from is the Des Moines Area Association of Realtors uh, multiple listing site. So we compared March and April couldn't really grab May's numbers because we're still in May. Um, so in March, and we were comparing 2019 to 2020. So in March of 2019, we took 1,625 new listings. Um, and then in March of 2020, there was 2,157 new listings. So a pretty significant jump when we compare our um, 2019 to 2020 March listings. And then we're kind of flip-flopped when it came to April. So in 2019, we had 2,398 new listings. In April of 2020, we had 1,824. Wow, that's a big that's a big drop there. Big drop, definitely. And then our average days um, on market from the day that it was listed to the day that it closed 
And I always like to remind people that it typically takes 45 days once the property is under contract to get it officially closed. Um, so in March of 2019, our average days on market was 82 days. In March of 2020, our average days on market was 84. In April of 2019, average days on market was 79 days. And in April of 2020, we, we remained steady at that 84. Okay, so at the average level, slight increase, but um, probably not a big deal overall on the days on market. So that's good to see kind of the, the comparison. Less listings, still consistently selling. Um, so there's still a buyer demand out there. Absolutely. And um, I'm almost wondering if COVID had a bit to do with those, you know, days on market kind of remaining the same. Um, it was hard to get appraisers in. Yeah, for sure. I know we, so, we ran into that in several projects from the delay, the, just the change on the appraisal. So doing the virtual appraisals versus physical walkthroughs. Um, that was kind of a weird, a weird step um, through there. Yeah, I I would say that for the most part, we had to get really creative. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see. So then the next report that I ran was our list price by square footage and close price versus our original price ratio. So what we're looking at is what is the average price per square foot? Um, so in 2019, and we're looking at January through May, um, our, excuse me, in 2020, our average price per square foot remained pretty much between $163 to $165 per square foot. And then our closed price to original price ratio, um, we really hovered in that 97 to 98% range, which is really good. As an agent, I like to see that. Um, it, it's letting us know that, you know, we're, we're coming in at our list prices pretty close to what people are offering on them. So yeah. that's always good, good to see those numbers. For sure. Awesome. So what we'll do, are, those are all the reports, right, Sam? Yep, all in a report. So we can definitely um, throw those out whichever way is easiest. Okay, we'll, we'll drop a link for those reports, guys, just so you can see the raw data on there and the graphs for them. Uh, they'll also be posted in the, in the minutes following this. Um, just so everyone's aware, this is all uh, being recorded. So if, if there's something that comes up that you're like, hey, I really want to double check that, actively being recorded and will be uploaded on like the very first one we did. So it, it'll come through this time. Awesome. awesome. Well, it looks like we've got a decent amount of folks on the line now. So let's go ahead and do introductions. Um, we've got two guest speakers tonight, um, both experts in the property management world uh, in the Des Moines metro area. So the, I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys, um, kind of getting that that feel from your perspective. Um, if you wouldn't mind, Ben, would you mind introducing yourself first, buddy? Yeah, of course. Appreciate the invite tonight. Uh, 
been a while since I've done anything like this. So it's going to be good conversation, I think, for for a couple hours or as long as we go here. So just a brief introduction on on who I am. I've been doing property management for about 10 years, started touch-up paint, uh, re-rolling, cleaning toilets, that basic thing. And then kind of grew up in a mom-and-pop company here, here locally and then took over real property management about three years ago and uh, geared us in a direction that, that we're headed here now. So uh, we specialize in single-family homes, condos, townhomes, and duplexes specifically in the western side and then north of the interstate for the most part. So west of 30th Street is usually the line that I draw for people north of the interstate all the way up to Ames. We're kind of a niche of our niche. We, we focus on properties that rent between about $1,500 and $3,000 a month, a little bit, little bit north of that on a couple of whales, but for the most part in that, uh, that sweet spot. So we manage about 400 properties in that area from – Waukee up to up to Ames. We uh, we kind of view things a little bit differently in our select group of investors because we're about we're not about adding every door. We're adding about the doors that kind of fit our business model. Um, we view being an investor as different than being a landlord. So kind of going down the the wealth builder uh, idea, create, build, and maximize rather than uh, going into it with. Uh, we just go about it and target our, our market just a little bit different. So that's just a little bit about our, our company and myself and happy to answer any questions as we roll. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. And we've also got Brad Neal on the line. Uh, Brad, would you mind doing a self-introduction, buddy? You bet. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, just like Ben said, uh, appreciate you inviting me along here. And um, hopefully I, I don't have any tech technology issues on my side. It's not a strong suit for me, but uh um, so I own uh, and operate Renner's Warehouse, Iowa. We have been in business for about five and a half years now uh, in central Iowa prior to, and I've owned it uh, myself uh, that entire time. Uh, prior to that, I am still, but was a, a licensed and practicing attorney uh, for 10 years, five years of that in um, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City area. So Eastern Iowa, and then the last five years prior to starting Renner's Warehouse. I was here in uh, West Des Moines. Um, then in January of 2015, I started Renner's Warehouse here. Uh, Renner's Warehouse is a franchise that started in Minneapolis, focusing on single family rental properties. Uh, I was at the time looking for management options um, for rental properties that my then girlfriend and I own. She's uh, now for better or for worse on her side, she's not my wife. Um, but uh, uh, so I was kind of looking around and recognized that there might be some opportunity there. Um, and so I started thinking about maybe starting another business um, in addition to law practice, um, discovered Renter's Warehouse and then tried to find a reason not to do it. Um, I could certainly give myself a lot of those reasons now I didn't discover those reasons then. Um, so I took off and, and realized very quickly that it's not something that uh, happens on the side or that you can do on the side. Many of the same realizations that I suspect uh, a lot of the folks on this call, um, they realize on a daily basis that it starts to be hard at four or five or six rentals to, uh, to start manage their own um, and still have a full-time gig and not pull their hair out. So I realized that very quickly and 
Um, we started with zero properties. We now manage uh, about eight, 850, 860 units in, uh, uh, in Des Moines. Um, we cover all of Des Moines and all of the burbs. We go out to about, uh, we have some properties in Perry and Newton and Indianola. Um, we have, we have maybe 20 some units in Boone. Um, so yeah, we, we try to stick to this, uh, central Iowa area. Um, really like, you know, anything we can get to within about 35, 40 minutes drive. And our focus is, is really the mentality of the, of the investor, of the landlord that we're going to be partnering with. Um, we really like to partner with folks who have the right mindset, recognize that tenants are assets. Um, they may not have the, the prettiest house on the block, but uh, their intention is to, to have a good, clean, competent property that'll be a good home for someone. Um, and we try to help them achieve that goal and, and recognize that tenants can be assets and recognize that there, um, there are obligations on both sides of, of the fence with regard to tenants and landlords. And, and uh, we do our best to, to, to step in and, and manage that and, and uh, not frustrate too many people at the same time. So. Perfect. Thanks for that intro, guys. So it uh, sounds like you both have a pretty sizable portfolio, uh, very different niches. Uh, so if I'm hearing you right, Brad, you'll, you'll take anything that meets the kind of investor mentality in the metro area all the way north up the boom, all the way south down to Indianola. Uh, whereas, Ben, you're more on the, the west north, or sorry, west to east um, going up northbound on the suburbs is your, is your guys's preference and really focusing on that higher, higher end rental. Did I, did I get that summary right guys? I think you pegged it. Awesome. So, um, kind of digging into the questions here, you know, with COVID going on, we've seen a lot of different, um, scares, right? So a lot of media hype about what's happening on the East coast, West coast, as far as rent collections, what are you guys seeing? How's, how's that looking? You want me to go, Brad? It doesn't matter, buddy. I just don't want to step on <laughs> over each other each time we try to talk. So, no, you're good. So, uh, it's been a roller coaster. You know, it's been been a wild ride the last 90 days. Started in March with kind of this unknown feeling, right? Like everything was changing so fast. We started changing our processes and systems very, very quickly in the beginning of March, like the first week in March, um, before a lot of decisions were even made. So it was hard to really know what to, what to expect and what to guide. It was more of just being transparent, getting as much information out and folks as possible, reliable information, you know, that was, you know, a decent source to come from. So we felt kind of, uh, a process here. March was, was a kind of a panic month not necessarily for us, but, but for the market and for tenants and owners. Um, and then April was more of like a preparing and an understanding month where it was a lot of, a lot of talking through stuff, um, figuring out what options were in, in worst case scenarios. And then obviously with evictions, what can and can't you do? Those questions were asked commonly. And then May so far has been a, I'm ready, you know, almost, it feels kind of like that's what the general population is getting to of just like, I'm ready for whatever happens next and let's just move on to the next stage of this thing and that's kind of the mindset that we feel our residents and our owners are uh, in our our market we're just a little bit less affected just because our average rents are 
about 1700. So we're still kind of in the, the white collar uh, demographic for the most part. So haven't been hit nearly as hard as I would suspect a lot of other folks are, but still hit, you know, it a hits a hit. It doesn't matter how, how big. Absolutely. So inside of that, can you ballpark a percentage of collections outside of normal, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't know what your normal collection ratios are compared to kind of what you saw in March, April. Okay. March, we, we didn't actually see anything because it uh, rents, I mean, it kind of hit at an okay time in March because they all are, already came in. So we were at about a 99% a collection rate, which is pretty normal for us each month. And then April was an, ended at 92%, but it took the whole month. You know, it was a lot of payment plans, a lot of working through stuff. And then May is on the same trajectory as, as April so far. We're, I think we're at like 80, 87% as of this morning. So expecting to, to get close to that 92% collection rate. And the other 8% or 7% that uh, we don't collect, communication is there. That's the big thing that we, we felt was uh, kind of the differential of somebody we wanted to work with and somebody that we obviously was on our short list. So uh, communication was really important. Even if they didn't pay, they at least communicated. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Brad, totally different demographic. How, how, how are you seeing that come through? Yeah. Buddy? Yeah. Ben kind of hit the nail on the head uh, with regard to uh, kind of the, the feeling um, uh, in March, April, and May. I would, I'm going to date myself here. I would compare it to uh, the movie, The Blair Witch Project. When I first heard about that movie, everybody was telling you it was like the scariest thing you've ever seen and be ready. To, if you go to the theater, like you're just, you're almost going to die when you watch it and all of that. And I kind of, I mean, I was, I was a little panicked. A lot of my uh, company's income is based on, we don't collect our income if we don't collect rent. There's, there's, there's nothing to pay ourselves with. Right. So, um, so I was looking at it going, holy crap, are we going to get, you know, 70% collection in these months and all of a sudden take a 25 or a 30% hit on, on our income and, and things like that. Um, March again, like Ben said, it hit after the fact. Um, and, and so we were pretty good in March and, and I guess to carry the, the Blair Witch theme through this, it ended up not being nearly as scary, at least to this point, as I thought it was going to be. Um, I remember the movie. I was like, ah, it's kind of scary. Um, this hasn't been near as bad as, as I first expected. Um, we've probably been, we've gotten to about the 90%, uh, about 90% of rents collected um, as of the 10th of April and May each month, um, right around the 15th, 16th, 17th, we've hit, usually we've been getting close to that 94, 95. And as we get to about this point in each month, um, we've gotten to about that 97, 98 range. Payment plans, um, different ideas in place for the balance of those. I think we closed last month at right about 98, and, and I expect to close this month. Nice. Did, uh, from the renter's warehouse side, did you guys provide any incentives to tenants to make payments, or was it just an offset on the late fee side? Well, yeah, so there's, we actually had that in place. Um, I feel like uh, the federal government stole my thunder there. I was going to be this very gracious and, 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 and gentle um, management person because 
because we keep the late fees. We, are, we do, my company keeps the late fees. We do all the work associated with um, a late paying tenant. And, and very candidly, I'd rather we had zero late paying tenants, even though we, we, we make a little bit of money off of it. Um, so I was going to waive all late fees for the next three months. Um, and then it came out most on most properties um, that have any federal backing uh, on their on their financing. Obviously, that we had to do that um, for four months. So um, we've done that. We've gotten very, as Ben kind of indicated, uh, a lot more open-minded um, with regard to payment plans, thinking outside the box. Um, before April started, so maybe around the 25th of March, um, kind of when a lot of this was happening, like when the, the CARES Act was signed on the 27th of March. Um, I, my staff and I got together myself and, and I should say my collections department and I drafted maybe four general framework um, uh, kind of payment plan ideas that we wanted to, to kind of filter all of those through one of those different frameworks um, because there is always an overriding concern with regard to disparate treatment of individuals, of tenants, so on and so forth. So we kind of wanted to show that uh, uh, be able to show at a later date um, that all of our payment plans were falling into one of these categories um, and, and one of these general structures because somebody's always ready to say that they were treated differently or something like that. So um, we wanted to make sure we weren't exposing our owners to that uh, prospective liability and, uh, uh, and, and really and we've had really good good fortune with it. We've had some owners, Mitch, reach out and say, "Hey, you know, for these months, let's let's cut rent by thirty percent, or fifty percent, or ten percent, or or you know, different different formats that they propose on their own." Um, and if we're not hearing from them in that respect, then we're making um, some pretty aggressive proposals on our own. And of course, it's easy to make those proposals at this point in time because if they do have a federally backed mortgage on their property, uh, the alternative is not at all attractive right now. So, so right now, if, if we've got a, a poor performing tenant because of whatever reason, um, let's let's get aggressive with that payment plan and 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 try and keep that number as small as possible, um, so that when we come out the other side of this in August with regard to the CARES Act. Uh, that number's maybe manageable at that point in time. That makes sense. Uh, back to Ben, did you guys have any incentives to try to encourage collection? Yeah, we're like Brad said, we're a company that only gets paid when our investors get paid. So kind of a, a worry of what was going to happen with rents that came in. We were pleasantly surprised, obviously, uh, at how many rents ended up coming in. So we did offer some incentives. We were actually really, really surprised that pleasantly surprised owners calling in or as we were talking and reaching out and talking through options and saying, Hey, let me do this to these guys. Let me, and, and they understood the position that we were in as a company as well. Cause obviously yeah. they know that our service would drop if our income came in or dropped because we can't afford to keep everybody. Um, and so they were actually in the position where they wanted to say, I'll still pay my full management fee and I'll offer this. And so we, we always worked with them in, in finding a balance in that of, you know, what's, what's a too much to offer? Cause this might go on for a long time. So we give too much up in month one or month two, then month three, you got to do full and just can get hard. So 
kind of spread them out. And then on the owner side or on our client side, how we, how we help the most possible was on the maintenance. You know, they, we call it a maintenance debt. You know, there's this giant uh, amount of maintenance that hasn't been able to be been performed because of COVID-19. And so what we've done with our owners in the, the sense of helping is saying, all right, here's the plan. Uh, here's how we've delegated what's urgent, uh, what can wait. And then here's how we're going to help you because we know there's going to be a big expense when this is all done of getting all this, all this maintenance wrapped up. So uh, spreading that out or uh, doing it at, at cost, you know, so there's no margin in there because as much as uh, investors have a mindset that property managers, I feel like to make money off maintenance is kind of, it's not necessarily where we make our money. You know, right. we make our money on management fees. If I never got a maintenance request, I could let three people go and still have the same income. So uh, yeah, maintenance is one of those necessary evils in order to do a great job for investors. So our, our, uh, our incentives mainly came on the, on the owner side with maintenance. And then with tenants, it was doing everything we could to communicate and help put resources out in front of them so they could find the money where it was. I mean, we saw money from, from churches and I mean, just all kinds of, of unique places that I didn't expect people to, to have opportunities to get to get money sure. from. Hey, so, hey, Ben, Ben and yeah. Brad, I got a quick, this is Darson. Um, I got a question. What, what are you guys going to change in your business model that like, what has changed due to this? Have you guys have changed any practices or anything like that? Do you care to share? Yeah, I'm, I'll give you a quick one. Uh, we've found that we found efficiencies in this where, you just don't expect that you have those efficiencies until you're forced into those efficiencies. And now it's like, well, we, heck, we can do this whole thing differently and, and do, do some of these things at a, at a much higher level be, because we were just too scared to do it before. And, and we liked the way we were doing it because we were comfortable in it. Uh, so there's Are definitely you some like, things. Like virtual, virtual stuff? Give me, yeah, with, give me something tangible. Absolutely. So move-ins, for example, had to be forced to be virtual move-ins. Um, where the property's prepped and ready to go. And then we have an electronic lockbox with a temporary code for them to be able to access. And then um, we come through the property and, and we deliver some stuff after the fact, after they've taken possession of the home, welcome baskets, these in-person connections and that we typically build when we're showing the property and doing the lease signing and all this stuff. We aren't able to do that anymore. So just recreating how that move in process actually happens. Um, and then, I mean, in, in conjunction with that, lease signings, you know, we were, we've always been huge advocates for in-person lease signings to set expectations. Of course, we do everything electronic, but we'd like to get the person in front of us and our clientele. We feel it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's important to get in front of them and help them know who we are when they have a maintenance request. So uh, on the leasing side of things, getting everything 100% fully, fully electronic and then not wavering on that. Uh, making everybody go through that and then doing these type of calls, you know, these zoom calls with them, meeting them face to face. Also onboarding new clients has been totally different, you know, done way too many zoom calls or Google hangouts or, you know, ring central meets where you're meeting over the, you could be two miles from the person, but you know, you're, you're talking through them on the video call. So uh, that's something I'll probably stick with just to, just for efficiency's point, but I, I'm, course I love getting through properties and we also we want to walk every property that we manage so at some point we'll walk through it but it won't be like the first step like it usually was in the, in the past 
But Brad, any any virtual changes or any efficiency adjustments? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so some of the same ones that Ben mentioned: virtual marketing showings. Um, we've drastically we made some changes that I think once the uh, social distancing aspect goes away, of course, I think those will as well, because I think, you know, for example, we meet folks, if we, if they, if we are showing them in person, we meet them in the front yard, they, we don't go in with them, they go in, they come out, we go back in, we wipe everything down, we sanitize everything and get it ready for the next person. Um, I hope that we're going to get to a place in time where we don't have to do that. Um, we've actually, um, we've, we've locked our front door at our office. Um, and, uh, we're appointment only now. And it's Mitch, I see you smiling. Have you done something similar? <laughs> yeah, we, we did the same thing. It's our, our, it's a buzz in system. Uh, there's a big stop sign that says, give us a call, set an appointment or drop the payment through the door. Yeah. Like there's yeah, I've actually, I set it up. So 120 volts are running through the front, front door handle. If you <laughs> but, but it's, I mean, the, my, now my staff's been working mostly remotely, but I have every day we have one staff member in here who's, in, who's here for the first half of the day, just to make sure we can get keys in the right hands for vendors and so on and so forth. Um, but that locked front door, I'm, we're keeping that hundred um, percent. And I would tell you too, it seems to me like, uh, more of my, I, I don't like to say this, I own the building in which our, uh, our office is located. I think more of my employees can be uh, location neutral uh, than, they, than are currently. Um, I'm still a little bit old school in that respect and, and, and like to get everybody in the same place to, to have commonality of purpose and, and ideas and things like that. But, uh, um, and I will deny having said that part of it. For sure. So we're, we're very similar in the, in the building. So we own the building that we're in as well. Uh, it's multi-tenant building at this point. We had moved off our Douglas location. Even down in Douglas, though, we kept the door locked 24-7. Uh, buzzing system there, buzzing system here. It, it's, it's been a huge efficiency for us because it, those after-hour walk-in appointments, hey, my fridge isn't working at 5.30. Like, what? Just call us. Like, we'll get someone down there. You don't have to stop in. Uh, it's cut down that substantially. So we we are not in the property management business. Let me make that clear. So at this point, like we've stepped out of, of managing third party pieces for other people. Um, so just for everyone on the call, that's we do not do that for others anymore. Um, but we've got about 200 properties under our management umbrella presently, or 200 doors, not properties. Um, so a couple of things that we did from an incentive basis for any uh, Colusi owned assets, we just took $50 off universally uh, across the board if paid by due date or paid by grace period end. So all of our stuff's due by the 5th, late on the 6th. Obviously, we waive late fees. We did that in April alone, had 100% collection rate um, inside of that. Um, I shouldn't say 100%. It wasn't all in by the 6th, but it was all in by end of month. Um, we did not carry that credit over to May, and I'm happy to report we're at 100% collection in May as well. Um, so that little bump, and our demographic is is a lot more similar to, I could say, Brad's kind of stuff. So we've got a little bit of everything, not a lot of high-end, couple in there. Um, 
our collection ratio extended into our contract sales, that kind of stuff too. Um, so it was a good, it's good to hear the different perspectives and, and kind of see what's happening. Um, what about lease up timeframes, guys? Uh, have you seen any shift on that, Brad? So it's been, that part's actually, I should have mentioned that earlier, Mitch, but that part has shocked me because we've seen, I mean, properties have been getting, we've been getting a ton of attention. Properties have been getting placed, high quality um, applicants. I kind of feared that it's my, it's been my experience that when something, I mean, obviously we've never had anything like COVID-19, but when there's uncertainty in the marketplace, people tend to sit on their hands and, 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 and stand pat and wait before any big decisions are made. And, you know, they don't go out and buy a car. They don't go out and buy a house. They don't go out and, and, and move from one rental to another, whatever the case may be. So I kind of thought we would see almost a similar market to like what we see in November, December, January, where we've got a lot of tenants who are moving, but the ones who are moving are not necessarily the ones who control their own fate. And so we see a diminishment a little bit in the quality of applicants at properties. And therefore we see maybe a similar or slightly depressed number of applicants, but even fewer placements, uh, you know, not a direct correlation between those two, fewer placements still because um, the quality of tenants has diminished. I thought that's what we were in for, you know, in April and this far in May. It hasn't been that case. I mean, we've been seeing good applicants, good people um, looking for properties. And, and uh, we've probably placed 65, um, maybe 70 tenants over the last five and a half, six weeks. Wow. That's awesome. So, so we, we, it's, I would normally expect maybe... 10% more than that uh, this time of year. Okay. Um, so really, I, I've been pretty pleased with that. I've been pretty surprised by that. I thought we were going to really see some crickets there and I was going to have a hard time uh, keeping agents busy and things like that. So Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, ben, what about your side? I know totally different demographic in there. How's, how's that looking on your end? Yeah, I'm going to echo what Brad said. Before I do that, I just wanted to mention because Brad mentioned it early and I forgot to mention it. We're a franchise as well. And so like Brad, we're probably, as Brad probably exposed to this as well, we're uh, data is pushed down from the total franchises, right? Like uh, as a whole. And I just had some information come, uh, like they break it out for us into like regions, you know, you got like the heartland region, kind of the Midwest area, and then you've got the coast and uh, average across the board for these property management groups there are these companies their unit counts were between like three and five hundred somewhere in between there so probably so pretty similar to, to us their average rents were a little bit lower but their collection was a lot like what you guys are reporting it was like 95 96 percent across the board and everybody was expecting obviously this big thing so it's not just us here locally as far as what i'm seeing uh, experiencing the better payment record than what we were expecting i think it's at least in the Midwest, uh, it seems like everybody's doing all right. For sure. The, uh, on the leasing side, though, again, echoing what Brad said, yeah, it's been a weird, I mean, it's busy. Like, <laughs> set a record number of applications two weeks ago. I mean, like 50 in a week. I mean, just huge numbers. And I will say that our application quality has dropped a little bit. But it makes sense because the demographic that we're at, you know, we're just getting – 
there's more eyeballs out there now because people are sitting at, at home on their computer and they have time to, to be inquiring and put applications in and do these different things. So we're just seeing almost like a new crowd of applications come in on kind of the bottom side. So looking to pick the best of the bunch on the bottom side. But yeah, it's been still great quality applications coming through, uh, moving quickly. They, most of these folks want to move in within 14 to 21 days. I mean, they're not you know, 60 days, 90 days out, they're, they're moving. And I thought exactly what Brad was going to say. Things were going to slow down and get really tight for a while. People were just going to save their money. Heck no, they're moving. <laughs> they're ready to go. So yeah, it's been great on the leasing side. And uh, I'm not sure if, uh, if this is a sweeping thing, but we, we immediately adopted 3d tours of our, fo- of our property. So, I mean, and we can see how many people are looking at these things and it's like, Holy smokes. People are viewing. They're looking. Are you guys using the Matterport or a different? Yeah, we're using Matterport. Perfect. Uh, okay. Yep. We've got the got a couple cameras running around. Seems like constantly you're doing five a day. Yeah. yeah. The Matterports have been changed. They're a big change for us. Uh, so we've been using those for a couple of years. Now we got them for the rehab side of things uh, and moved them into property management. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, that's kind of like a Google Maps inside your house. So you can literally navigate on the floor circles, you can annotate. Um, so special features inside of the house, you can tag all of those things. Uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic from the lease up side. And it's also really good where we found a benefit in that was if we do it before and after a tenant moves out, we can document to the T on what they did or didn't do. Um, so it's really good for that as well. Uh, we had a question come in from Jose. Uh, Jose asked, have you guys had any um, leases end through this period? I'm sure you have. And if so, um, was it difficult to do the changeover and refill that unit? Uh, no, not for us. With just with the, I'm sure Brad would probably echo this, with the amount of people looking, uh, we wanted to turn them quick. I mean, our we try to turn everything within seven days anyway. So, I mean, sometimes we were down to, you know, crunch time, just a couple days between people moving in and moving out to get carpet cleaned, get the right stuff done in between. But no, we've actually had a, a more of a demand on pushing that faster than pushing it back. Awesome. Just because just I'm a little new to this process, can you walk me through that, like, what, what an applicant means? Are they applying for a certain property or are they just applying to look at one of your properties? <laughs> Is, just take it from the ground level for me. Yeah, good question. So usually we, about 70% of our leads come from four sites. Zumper, Hot Pads, uh, Trillia, and uh, Zillow. Those four are our big four. And so it usually starts with an inquiry. They put in about a property. And then uh, once they inquire, our team talks to them and shows them or gets them a virtual link or whatever. And then after they like it, they'll put an application in and that application asks for, uh, I mean, it's a pretty detailed application, but we try to keep it low entry as far as just getting them in the door. So it asks for their basic information, contact, all that fun stuff. And then after they get pre-approved or we call it conditionally approved, when they're conditionally approved with our company, then we we're broadcasting anything else that might work for them as well. So it's not like we're pushing them off that property. We're just exposing them to other similar properties. And then from there, they lock themselves into a property. And all this happens within, I mean, I would say within two to four hours, typically. 
because uh, as we all know, their residents are shopping around constantly. And so the faster that we can get them approved, the faster that we can get them locked into that property. And then I don't have to worry about them going over to one of Brad's properties and I can't rent my property. So uh, we try to move as quickly as possible on those. And then the leases get pushed out. Once the lease is out, it's pretty much like that's the property that they're, they're going to move into. That makes sense. Brad, any, any deviation in process there? No, I mean, it's, it's largely driven by interest in a specific property first. And then you start to, you know, and then you start to look at their pedigree. Um, and they're looking at the pedigree of, of your one particular property or, you know, having their questions answered about that. Uh, maybe in that process, identifying, like Ben indicated, uh, that there may be another property that would be of equal or, or more interest to them or that fits their budget a little bit better or has the extra half bathroom that they're looking for, the bigger backyard or whatever. Um, so you start to open their eyes to something else that you have. I mean, but it's a little bit like um, having cars on a used car lot. Uh, you know, it, you, you show they're, they're on the Internet. They're out on all of these various websites, which is where everybody um, does their business now. And, and you may have one car that brings them to the lot and, and they find out that there's, you know, a better fit for them somewhere else, or maybe that car that they came to the lot to see and they're ready to go and they qualify and let's get going. So as Ben indicated, they are a very, all of those sites that Ben was talking about make it very easy to look for properties right now. Um, maybe almost a little bit too easy because <laughs> they have, no commitment to any one of them and you know and so i mean boy if you don't get a response you know in minutes on this inquiry for this site they're literally a swipe to the next one and a swipe to the next one and they can also compare as never before they can compare 200 rental properties in a 45 minute search and and that are all three bed one bath three bed two bath between let's say $1,050 and $1,450 in all of the Des Moines Metro without leaving their, 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 you know, living room. I mean, they can do all of that and they, they can figure all that out and they can figure out real quick if you're $50 above market. But uh, with the point that Ben was making is they can, they can go and, and hit apply on all of those other ones real quick. So you better be pretty quick to, to respond and to qualify and, and uh, identify if that's something you want to pursue a relationship with. So that puts a lot of stress on you guys as property managers and as, as staff members, right? To get those responses out there. And that that is something if you're self-managing properties, guys, that you definitely want to consider. You know, it's it's it sounds to me like we're moving the era of I'll call them back after work to we need to get a response out there quickly. So as you're building systems, really look at that um, and factor your own availability into there where you might be sitting on vacancy a lot longer than what these guys are talking about. Mitch, can I jump in for one second? Absolutely, buddy. So uh, for those DIYers out there, something I would recommend that has I've done it for probably six years now is have a two-stage approach to the application. You know, so once they get in the door within five minutes, I mean, don't make it long, take longer than five minutes. You have an idea of their criminal background. Do they make enough money? Do they fill out their application? Bang, you're conditionally approved. At least then they feel a sense of connection to you and they're not out there just, you know, yep. blowing in the wind. Um, 
And then the second thing, just to help everybody you understand. The door, you yeah. mean virtually, correct? Not, not physically walking in the house. You mean they've, yeah. they've hit you on an inquiry, you're hitting them back with some kind of qualifier so they can respond to it. Yeah, definitely on the inquiry side. I mean, that has to be, if that's not automated uh, for you because you're a DIYer, it's worth paying 15 bucks, 25 bucks a month to get something in place that auto responds for you and kind of helps just while you're working and you're busy throughout the day, you got to have some type of communication with them. Sure. Um, and then on the application side is where it really hits. If somebody applies, I mean, you, you can't let them sit, you can't let them linger. You got to get them going as quickly as possible and build a rapport and a connection with them. And if you are a DIYer, uh, as I know in our agenda, there's a pros and cons at the end. I have it down as a pro uh, where you have the flexibility, you know, you have more, we're pretty systematized, uh, organized, organized. We are malleable, flexible, of course, but not to the degree of what a DIYer is. Yeah. So you, the faster you can have those conversations and make it complicated, uh, the faster that they're interested in sticking it out with you rather than calling Brad or I and saying, nope, here's what you got to do to get into the property. Um, sure. So DIYers have a leg up in that way. And then the, the second thing I just wanted to mention to everybody uh, is that it's kind of a, it always comes up in new contract appointments. We are, as property managers, there's not an MLS. There's not a multiple listing service. So when they're out there shopping around, like Brad's saying, they're swiping left, swiping right on Zillow, on Zumper, on, on Hotpads, on these, out, these other sources. And we can't get connected to them until they get connected to us. Uh, unlike the MLS, you know, where you have agents and then you have your working prospects and you kind of get this network, this, cat, this uh, net, net that you can just cast into the marketplace. We don't quite have that same concept. So the, uh, a lot of times people ask, well, you know, do you have tenants hanging out and waiting? Absolutely. You know, we've got a million inquiries, but until your property or when your car sit on that lot, like Brad's saying, we can't really generate uh, leads specific to your property until that car's parked on our lot. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, we had one quick question come in about applications. What are you guys seeing? Are, is it mainly locals moving in the area or is, are you getting a lot of out of town applications? I would say it hasn't really changed for us locally or coming in from out of town. I'd say we still have a really wide mix of that. Right. A lot of, yeah, I would say maybe on the relocation side, we typically do quite a bit of relocation stuff for big companies in town. And I've seen a little bit less of that, probably just because they've tightened their belts a bit and they're just being smart about who they're bringing in. But I still see a ton of people coming from out of state, uh, you know, close countries, I, I mean, all over the place. That's awesome. Any, any change on your end, Brad? No, probably the same. Um, with the, the actual bona fide relocations and dealing with a relocation agent, um, HR department, things of that sort, we're probably seeing that slow down a little bit. But just as life happens to different people and they all of a sudden say, okay, well, I, you know, I graduated school in Kansas and I'm moving to Des Moines to start my career type of thing. We're still seeing, I would say the same mix um, of in-state, out-of-state. Um, but everybody who's on this call is, is here for a reason and, and knows Mitch for a reason. I mean, um, the Des Moines, central Iowa area is getting just massive national attention um, as a, as a great place to, you know, start a career, start a family, even um, retire, which is crazy to me. I don't know why you would deal with snow and retirement, but 
Um, but nonetheless, uh, because of that, then is getting a lot of attention from a standpoint of everybody who's on this call, right? I mean, that all of those accolades and that attention makes this um, with prices that don't fluctuate like the coasts or, you know, Phoenix or these other cities uh, makes this a, a, an attractive investment opportunity. Sure. So would you say, is it a fair assessment then to say uh, there's more out-of-town investors um, in the last year or so? Would you think so? Absolutely. Um, I think, I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that, Mitch. I, I noticed that really peaking, I would say, in the year between roughly 18 months ago and six months ago, if yeah. that makes sense. I think that... Um, in my opinion, with properties that now they're still flying off the shelves, I'm sure there's people on this call who have made some offers on something that is gone like that and they're fired up about it and, and irritated that it went that quickly. Not to say it's not happening, especially at least anecdotally, um, but the feeding frenzy that was going on 18 months ago to about six months ago was unreal. I mean, properties were getting in my opinion, bid into prices where there was going to be two or three or four really, really lean years um, from an owner's perspective before that really turned around and, and the market kind of, the property caught up with, with where it was purchased in the market. So yeah. it's still hot. I, I would say it peaked maybe just a little bit ago. Um, and I think that coronavirus is going to help bring about a correction. So I'd say on the single family side, there's a lot of uh, out of town lookers right now, definitely moving in uh, on the multifamily side. I think we've seen kind of that peak out. Um, it stayed fairly steady. Uh, any Anytime you get into those larger units, I think you really start to see, and I'm not a commercial guy, not a commercial guy. So like we have some apartments, we, we broker some apartments, that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of the interest in those higher end pieces where we're just seeing the, the high sixes, low seven cap rates, those are starting to sit. Those are starting to really kind of sit out there and, 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 and pause. Ben, did you have anything to add to the out of town part? Boy? Yeah, I would say we still get a really consistent flow of inquiries. I mean, sometimes it's hard to keep up with them because they're always hour or 90 minute conversations. You know, they just so go for all you're talking investor prospects. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Investors inquiring about either a single family or a multifamily. And you know, we don't do multifamily. We don't do apartments. Um, so usually anything over four units, I'll send over Brad's way. Like I just, it's not something that we do. Um, but we still have the conversation. I'm not going to cut them off there in case they want to go down the single family home route because multifamily, it seems like there was a huge splurge of people with money buying things like Brad is saying overpriced and numbers just didn't work. So then I would talk to them about, you know, here, let's pack your portfolio of single families and they can work. Um, so I still see a, a consistent flow of it, but it's, I haven't seen a lot of people actually pull the trigger in a while you know, actually move forward and buying properties. But I do see in our small world, um, I see, uh, you, I don't know, DR Horton has made an impact for us because we do a lot of new construction and a lot of higher end. And so 
we were seeing those prices jump up three, four, 5% every single year. And the numbers got tighter and tighter and tighter until they just weren't, I mean, you just knew you were going in it for appreciation and that was it. Um, but now DR is kind of, they brought that back a bit. I mean, their price per square foot, I know it, it's, it's not the, the highest quality product in the world. I, I, we fully understand that as I'm sure everybody does, but their prices are competitive and they've caused other builders to have to figure out a way to squeeze their price down five or 10,000, which really helps uh, in some of those numbers. So I have seen a surge of, of in clients and it's kind of cause it's our focus too of, of new construction because prices have started to either flatten or, or slightly decline. Yeah. And, and I mean, from my perspective, I think those new construction prices, I agree with you were very much getting inflated. Uh, for a period of time there and it makes yeah there there was bound to be some kind of correction there there was a pretty extensive gap that was occurring so uh, well Mitch uh, to get your insight on that because the land prices haven't really changed yeah so where's the number coming from so it's it's coming out of margins you know the the average on a new construction at the national level is supposed to be about eight percent but we were seeing builders pulling 14 and 18% margins. Mm-hmm. Well, so now we can see a contraction there. Uh, and some of the quality adjustments are happening. Now I will say, so land prices were, were staying fairly consistent, um, but the number of new starts has gone down substantially. Uh, so if you look, there's gonna be this weird little pause on the land development side because everyone pumped the brakes, including DR Horton, they, they uh, I shouldn't, Nothing that we were involved with just through the grapevine. So let me put mm-hmm. that asterisk on there. Um, they, they pumped the brakes on a handful of projects, it sounds like, uh, mm-hmm. which is going to put this weird supply-demand issue on the lot side. I, I had a call with an appraiser a couple of days ago. And he's like, hey, you've got this land down on the south side. What are you doing with it? I'm like, we're going to develop it, uh, just not today. Um, and he's like, this is a problem because I can't comp anything there hasn't been a new land piece in in week or in well, 12 months now. Um, so it's, it's kind of an, it's a weird little bucket and COVID definitely pushed it out. So totally Did up you, topic. I just want to make sure. <laughs> last question for you in, in those margins that you're referring to Mitch, did you see, it felt like maybe some, some belts were getting a little loosened. Uh, people were getting fat in between like plumbers, electricians, contractors, cause they were so dang busy. Are you seeing, because you're in that space, you know, building, uh, are you seeing those numbers come a little tighter as well, which has given you a little bit more? Yeah, so uh, it got really competitive there for a while. Um, and now, and then it got to the point where uh, we can take our pick of what job we're using. So we're going to throw a few extra hundred here, a few extra hundred there from the subcontractor standpoint, from that mechanical, electrical, plumbing aspect specifically. Um then there's this weird piece where pe- builders weren't paying, right? Hmm. And we're like, guys, we, we always pay on time. So then we started seeing those prices get sharpened again. Um, so there, that's, that was, there's a give and take inside of that world. Um, so adjusting payment structure is what we took the approach of. Uh, we're two weeks out. So anytime you submit a bill two weeks later, you get paid. Um, adjusting that time frame got, got our sh- prices sharpened again. Did that make good make sense and answer your question? Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Um, well, let's let's kind of jump down the agenda here a little bit. I think we covered a lot of stuff uh, kind of out of order, and that's totally fine. What kind of gaps are you guys seeing right now in the market? So let me let me set the stage on that a little bit. So 
not me, but some people that we know were operating Air, Airbnb type properties. And we saw that come to a screeching halt, right? Um, do you guys see that coming back? I'm sure Airbnb has to Airbnb has come back. I mean, it's not like the I can't imagine that the company would fold and or the premise, maybe the company, but the premise isn't going to fold. But we have seen, as you would suspect, people saying, "I haven't had income for a month or 45 days." My Airbnb, I need to get income. I know it's going to be less, but I need it. Um, so at some point, that will that will come back. Uh, you go ahead first, Brad, and I'm sure we'll touch on other other topics about gaps in the market. Yeah, I mean, I think Airbnb, in theory, isn't going anywhere. Whether or not it survives and prospers in Des Moines, um, I think, you know, I think it's perfect in certain areas where there's obviously a ton of tourism. Um, and I think that those communities and municipalities recognize the value of that tourism, maybe, um, Des Moines recognizes that we welcome with open arms, you know, all of these different events and concerts and so on and so forth, but it's not like, uh, you know, I don't know, Daytona Beach, Florida or something like that. Right. So there's a definitely a difference there. Um, and so I think you're going to see, I think municipalities got a little bit caught off guard by Airbnb and you're going to see come out of this, some municipalities basically saying, Hey, we can't have rentals that are less than 30 days in length. Well, Obviously, that gets rid of probably, I, I don't know the, the stats, but 90 plus percent of your typical Airbnb um, client. And I know the margins on Airbnbs, if you've got a spot that keeps getting filled, I mean, they can be fantastic. Um, I'm also aware of a lot of people that were going around, including coming to some of our listings and saying, I want to rent that, basically sign a master lease and say, I want to rent these four or five properties from you. I'm never going to live in them. I'm just going to Airbnb them. Now we didn't do that because we didn't see it as a sound opportunity for our clients, the, the investor, um, the owner of that property. And thank goodness we didn't because anybody who did that in the last uh, yeah. two months has had zero income and has had, if they have, you know, 15, $2,000 a month um, rentals that they're signed up for, they have $30,000 in overhead every month and zero income for the last two months. For sure. Um, so, you know, it, the interplay there is going to be really interesting, uh, Mitch. It's one that I pay close attention to. It's not one that we involve ourselves in. Uh, one, because I don't, I'm not convinced it's an, it's an ongoing enterprise here locally. Uh, and two, the, the level of attention on a, on a two or three or four day basis is we don't have the bandwidth for that to, to mix that with our, with our current management. So. That makes sense. Are, are you guys seeing any need for furnished rentals or do you see that diminishing as well? Like in our term or midterm type type levels. I won't, I won't come at this with a pessimistic attitude. There is a place for furnished for sure. It's just not in our world. Um, People are typically rolling into the moving trucks. You know, they don't really want their own cat or a couch already sitting there. And I will tell you, if we have a furnished home, it will sit and sit. And then eventually we'll just say, okay, now can we take this stuff out and like lease this thing? And then within 20 days, it's gone. So there is a place for furnished. I just think like Brad was saying with Airbnb, it's very location driven. You know, if you're downtown or near principal park area, heck yeah, that's great. You know, get the ball players in there or get some executives who don't want to mess with stuff. 
but out in the suburbs and then, you know, Beaverdale, it's just not something we run into as a, a long-term success. Sure. Needle in the haystack, but just not long-term. That's great insight. Cause I know uh, it's floated through the group a handful of times. Hey, should we furnish these? Is that, is that enticing? Um, we've, we've had questions at that at a management level. And to be frank, the, the, uh, affiliates that run the Airbnb were like, what do we do with these things? How do we lease them up? And and I will echo what you're saying is pulling the furniture out. That was the best way to go uh, and getting them leased up quickly. One quick thing that Brad mentioned, uh, sorry, Brad, you were talking about Airbnbs and the municipalities kind of shoving them out. I'm seeing a ton of that in the association level, like associations saying, nope, you can't do that anymore. And actually, turn out to be great clients for us because they bought it for an investment, just a different type of investment and they got to keep it because they just can't get out of it. So I think associations in the townhome and, and condo world are uh, definitely going to shove those things around a little bit. For yeah, sure. I agree. And most of the HOAs have, have in their declarations, um, no shorter term for a rental than 30 days. Um, and if they didn't, they're now adding that in very quickly mm -hmm. in those emergency uh, meetings. And, and honestly, Furnished versus furnished versus unfurnished agree completely. Um, and, and very candidly, anything that, I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest, any of the furnishings that anybody's leaving behind in their rental property um, aren't attracting anybody to that house. And nobody wants to put their butt in your butt print on your old couch. So it, they have their own stuff. They want, they love their couch. They love their furnishings. They love their bed. They don't want to deal with yours. We'll let um, our owners, uh, I guess, enjoy the idea that a furnished client may come along um, and we'll let them keep their furniture uh, as long as it looks all right in a property as we show it. But as soon as that person or that approved applicant says, you know, I, I've, I've got my own stuff. I don't have any use for all of this. Um, it's time to go. And we've man set and managed that expectation early on with that, uh, um, with that owner. And the other thing from our perspective, it's awful hard to manage if you're having to deal with somebody else's furnishings. I mean, we, it's hard enough to spot every nick in the floor or the walls or, you know, everything on move in and move out that is different and that might exceed ordinary wear and tear sure not going to flip over the couch and see what they did or you know the cushions and it's it's awful hard for us to manage that so it's it's not attractive from a manager standpoint and i would tell you from an investment standpoint all you're trying to do is pawn your crummy furniture off on somebody else i would ditto ditto everything that brad's saying uh for sure and if there are some uh, diyers who are going to go down that path though and so if you do go down that path couple recommendations Brad kind of alluded to it over document everything you know you can't take enough pictures and make sure your pictures are time and date stamped and still photos um, and then the second thing is if you're if you don't if it's your crummy crap with your own butt print um, just acknowledge and sign an agreement that says I don't care about any of this stuff so if it breaks it breaks and you don't have to be responsible for replacing it that's great advice thank you um, what about, so right at Brad here, what, what do you think about houses versus apartments versus townhomes and also uh, bed bath counts? Where are you seeing the gap that exists or will be coming up? What's the ideal? 
Yeah, so I mean, obviously we manage all of them and, and, and Ben and his group do as well. Um, I don't personally love um, condos and townhomes. Um, I feel like it's easy to, it, they're attractive from a new investor standpoint because typically there's an HOA. We don't have to deal with um, snow removal or lawn care or roof or siding or whatever. Um, but it's been my experience that if you took those HOA fees every month and set those aside and treated yourself as an HOA with a single family home, um, you're probably gonna be in really good shape with regard to those repairs anyway. Um, and you don't have to worry about the HOA's management or mismanagement of those funds. Um, but the reason I really don't love them is from an investor standpoint, at least not compared with maybe a, a similar single family home or something along those lines, is it's very easy to commoditize those offerings. And what I mean by that is um, if you get a townhome in a development that has 240 townhomes, um, 80 of which are rentals, then probably at any given time, what, maybe six, seven, eight of those are available at any given time, uh, which means yours is only coming off the market when it's the lowest price. And I mean, down to $25 difference until yours is 25 lower than the rest. Nobody's paying much attention to yours. Uh, and they may, you may be dealing with somebody who bought theirs um, on a short sale or who didn't maybe purchased it, not at an arm's length transaction. So they've got a competitive advantage all of a sudden over you because their margins are drastically different and they've got the exact same thing. And um, from, a, from a property standpoint uh, in the townhomes, I mean, they're the same layouts over and over. And it doesn't matter if you change the color of the paint or update the kitchen because you're in that space. You're literally comparing mentally apples to apples on hard stats, right? Is that? Yeah. I mean, beds, baths, square footage, um, layout, you know, two bedrooms up and a full bath. And then you've got the main level has living room, dining area, and a nice kitchen and a half bath. And then whatever there is in the basement with a two stall attached garage that is underneath one of the bedrooms upstairs that walks straight into the kitchen. Right. And so you're looking at that same thing, two doors from another one, six doors from another one, still in the exact same location in town. Um, so same amenities, same distance to high V same distance to whatever else. Um, and it starts to really be difficult to be unique and differentiate and, uh, and I think close down vacancies quickly. Um, obviously one of the biggest expenses, um, losses in property investing is vacancy loss. Um, and if you've got something that six other people have on the market at the same time as you, it's really difficult to, you know, get your vacancy from, you know, 45 days down to 15 days or something like that. Um, so it's, it's difficult to differentiate your offering. Whereas with single family homes, um, they're all in one way or another fairly unique um, in what they have to offer. Of course, there's certainly some development now that are, are same home, same home, same home, block by block. But generally speaking, they're much more unique product than, than um, and townhomes and, and, and uh, condos and things like that. So. Yeah. Ben, did you want to comment on the townhomes? Is it, is it similar or do you have a totally different, I know your demographics very different. I mean, I could, I, uh, I'll say there, there's a, 
depends on the investor's goals, right? Like how they're coming into it can, can vary so much. Uh, we view it with a three-legged stool approach. So the three legs are monthly cash flow, like hard cash in your pocket, appreciation rate, and then mortgage pay down. Mortgage pay down is going to happen. Uh, pretty much whatever you own, it's going to happen. Appreciation and, and monthly cash flow are the hard ones. Those are the ones that you just have to be aware of. And you always want to make sure that you have two out of the three working for you or the investment doesn't work. It works really well when all three, uh, but it always works when two out of the three are working. And, and in the condo townhome world, that can be hard. Uh, cash flow is usually a little bit higher, but there's hardly any appreciation in those things. It takes so long. And like Brad's saying, the association do eats up so much of the cash that it's, it's really hard for those to work. But with that being said, it's also entry level. It's entry level to get into a nice caliber or a nicer caliber home. So, you know, you got 125,000 bucks or you got 130 uh, that you're approved for. You can typically get into a, a two or three bedroom condo that's going to rent somewhere between, you know, 900 and 1200 bucks all day. It takes the $25 jumps, the $50 jumps like you guys are talking about, but they will move. And the, the maintenance portion of it is so much less. So it really depends on the, on the investor's goals, but single family homes are usually the, the home runs. You know, those are the ones that hit all three out of the park. Um, it's just being really wise about where you're at and where you're buying. There's a, a spot in the market where everybody wants to be, and that's the value add properties. I would say, you know, eight out of 10 calls that I take are, hey, I'm an investor looking to buy a property and put money into it and rent it out. And it's like, yep, so is everybody else. Uh, so they're hard to come by. Um, but that price point is typically between, you know, 140 to 190, maybe even up to 200. And when they get on the market, I mean, gosh, do they go. So I usually recommend our investors not to avoid it, but just not to get their hopes up and say, you're going to have 10 properties that are going to hit the market in the next 90 days. Like, let's be realistic and say, let's keep our eyes open for one. And then, oh, by the way, let me expose you to these other two that are doing well, um, that are a little bit of a niche on the markets on the marketplace right now that are performing at a high level and putting $50,000 down. I mean, that's usually the amount of money that we're talking for, for somebody to getting into their first investment property or, or right around that, you know, 30 to 50. Um, if, you're, if you're looking at buying a $150,000 property and, and putting 30 down uh, to buy it on a commercial loan, and then you got to put 20 into it. What's the difference between that and putting all 50 down and buying a $250,000 property turnkey don't have to put a dollar into it. Appreciation rates averaging almost 4%. Uh, rent rates are extremely strong. Vacancies extremely low. So when you look at it over the course of a, of a long period of time, uh, it tends to work, but you just have to be open-minded to, to just not be stuck in the Burr model because the Burr model is really hard in the, in my mind or in, in my experience in the Des Moines market, at least it has been the last five, six years. For sure. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's on the, the first BR of that, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Everyone's, everyone's looking there. If you could wave a magic wand though, what would be your ideal unit? Would it be a, a two story or one story, one and a half story? What's the bedroom count? Like if you were coming at this market saying I could have exactly what I wanted, what would that look like? It is for us. It's a, a two-story home. Four bedrooms is a new three-car garage. If you can get four bedrooms in your house, your rent rate's going to be higher uh, across the board. Interesting. So four bedrooms uh, and as close to 2,000 square feet as possible, 1,800, 1,900. 
I used to, we used to have this same conversation about three bedrooms. Honestly, I would say if you bought a two bedroom, you were capping yourself at you know twelve, thirteen hundred bucks. But now we just elevated that conversation to to four bedrooms because their appreciation rates are so strong on the rental side. You know, we're going we're the price point also is a cap on it. Uh, about two seventy five is around where it stops working as well, and you start to take the you know, your, your two, $300 monthly cash flow starts turning into 100 or an even break or break even. Uh, but yeah, a few years ago, it was three bedrooms, you know, buying up those old Regencies that were just put carpet and paint on them and, and rent those suckers out. And now it's for us a, a perfect rental property that will have extremely low vacancy, extremely high rents and extremely high appreciation is that four bedroom uh, around 2000 square foot new construction or completely remodeled. You know, there's some really nice ranches built in 1995 to 2005. Uh, maybe not quite the Regency stuff, a little a level above that. Uh, but you finish the basement, so two up, two down, and, and put a bath in the living room down there. I mean, you're renting for 22 to 2400 all day, and you're dealing with a demographic that's just different. <clears throat> just different. So you're talking again in the north from east to west, kind of north of the suburbs, you're not seeing that in the Des Moines city area, right? Not as much. I mean, your property, you know, like, uh, you know, you built some stuff that works that yeah. uh, we got involved in. The uh, the south side, there's a, a couple little pockets there that still work, you know, like Easter Lake has cookie cutter stuff down there that works pretty well. Um, and there's some townhomes and stuff by the Southbridge Mall that work really well. But for the most part, we try to stay away from the east east side, especially the far east side. And then once you get out to like Pleasant Hill, Bondurant, Altoona, it starts turning this corner, turning the corner again and working. But yeah, for the most part, Mitch, you're talking west of the interstate and north of the interstate. That makes sense. Uh, what about you, Brad? If you could wave that magic wand, what's that look like? Uh, again, knowing your demographics a little different. There you go. Uh, I love the, I love two ones to three twos in that thousand to 15, 1600 square foot range um, where there's just a lot of value, a good efficient layout um, all throughout the metro. There's anything in that single family homes for say 1050 to 1600. I love them. I okay. mean, they, they, there's a lot of attention to them. We're not um, as an investor or as a marketer of the property for prospective tenants. We're not competing with uh, quite as much with um, prospective home buyers who are tenants. We're, we're not dealing as much in that um, avenue. I feel like that's, those are always there. I would, I agree with Ben, the appreciation on those is not going to be as strong. Um, cash flow is likely to be better. The margins are likely to be better. Um, and with a, a properly priced property, uh, regardless of location with some very small exceptions, um, we're able to find high quality tenants, um, for all of those, you know, I mean, high quality for a two bed, one bath, 900 square foot, uh, single family home with a one stall or a two stall detached garage on the east side. Uh, that rents for 1025 um, is going to be different than 
than the $2,400 rental um, that Ben is uh, talking about. But we're, we're also talking about a group of people who are likely to stay as tenants longer um, in their life. Uh, purchasing that house may not be as big of an option or a goal for them. Um, and so, so I like that we don't have to compete with that. Now we'll take, uh, we love being up in, uh, in the properties that Ben's discussing because it is a different level of management. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. Um, and when you say different level of management, really what you're saying is touch points, right? How many times are we touching those tenants every month? Yeah. yeah. Is that, yeah. But then with, to be fair too, it's not like that's, it's, it's not like that's easy. Biggest knucklehead we have in the world right now is in a $1,900 a month rental. <laughs> so, um, so it happens at all across all, all platforms. And some of our best tenants are, you know, in some of those $950 single family homes. So um, there can be knuckleheads across all different groups of folks. So Absolutely. I'll, I'll tell or I'll agree with Brad that there's definitely knuckleheads across the board. There are, uh, I think the biggest difference between what we do and where, uh, that portfolio, you know, the thousand to 1300, the touch points are similar, Mitch. It's the intentionality of the touch points. So like ours are proactive conversations and Brad's just, I mean, he's got more people calling. I would assume I'm making some assumptions, but if you're in that price point, you know, more, you probably have more maintenance requests coming in. You probably have more people complaining about their neighbor or just that different. It's just a different style. It's, it's the same work. It's just done a different way. Um, and yeah, when you get into 2000 a month properties, people are entitled. I mean, they're, they're whiny. They, they complain about the dumbest thing. Get a little candid with you, but I mean the, the, the silliest things that come up, uh, Mitch, you've recently had to deal with this with us, actually, you know, some of these little petty things that we run across and it's, you almost want to just say, are you kidding? I mean, you got a brand new property, you know, everything's perfect. What are you complaining about? So I believe my response was LOL. On the list, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just, it happens across the board, wherever you're at. I also want to agree with Brad in the, he was talking about thousand to maybe, maybe 1100 to 1400. If you can get a rant or if you can get a, a single family uh, with three bedrooms anywhere in that price point, it is going to fly. I mean, a three bedroom in really anywhere in, in Des Moines that's between 1100 and, and 14 or 1500 just goes. We on the east, I don't know the east side as well as far as market goes, but like when we get something in the Beaverdale area or even close to 26th Street, uh, that area, it's a three bed built in 1958, 1965 or something, but it's three bed with paint and carpet. Bang. I mean, it is gone. So that's a cool spot to be in if you can find them. I have a question for you, for both of you. How do you guys work with investors? Do you guys have an investor usually come to you and not have a property and you help them find one or do they have the property and they're hiring you to take it off their hands? Is there, I mean, Walk me through each of those. I would assume that uh, we both have a similar answer, both. You know, folks who are coming and they're brand new and they say, hey, what do I buy? How should I buy it? Um, and then others who have you know, two to 40 properties that they currently are self-managing that they're looking to expand their portfolio. 
we actually have a real estate investment advisor, Aria, as we call her, in our office where she just takes takes guys, uh, either starters or uh, kind of the intermediate investor and helps them find runs performas and, and pushes out uh, like hot deals, depending on what's on the market. Across the board, um, we try to look at everything to be knowledgeable about what's happening out there, but both of them we help. Uh, we just have a, a person that is dedicated to helping that person either get off the ground or continue to build their portfolio. I'll say that when you get to a certain level that you're not as interested, you've got the, you've got the knowledge, you know, you've got the wisdom and you like the, the chase that's fun for you. And so then you stop asking for as much help. Um, and you like to do more of it because as an investor, not a landlord, you have the time because as an investor, your goal is to, you know, uh, separate from your day to day and be able to spend more time on real estate because it's a, a lot of people who are on this call probably have a passion for it or are excited to have a passion for it. And when you get to that level, you don't want to give it up to some Maria, you know, you want to go chase down the deals yourself and walk through that stuff. Yeah. And we get them both too. Um, folks who have no properties and are looking for that guidance on the first opportunity. Um, folks who have 10 and are looking for the hands-free approach so they can spend their time, any time that they do have for their, investment portfolio focusing on um, the next investment, um, looking at how the, the current portfolio is performing, um, how to improve that, how to, how to find that next good investment um, and, and whatever it takes. I mean, you know, and we have that candid conversation with the folks who are looking to, in, who fall into any of those categories. What do you want that next one to look like? Um, what are your objectives for your money? What, what does that money look like? Um, is this a cash flow, uh, cash on cash return play? Is this a long-term set it and forget it as minimize headaches to the maximum extent possible and, and uh, maximize uh, appreciation play? Um, you know, those are kind of two very different ends of the spectrum right there. Where do we fall on that spectrum? And then, um, yeah, hope to help them figure out the answer to that question. Then. Um, supplement their search, I would say, um, through professionals like Mitch, I mean, you know, and, and, and just add that extra 10 or 15% of information, um, as well as we, we have properties in our current management portfolio. Um, you know, we have, we know owners who say, boy, if the right offer came along, I'd consider selling this because I'm trying to um, liquidate this and, and move to Florida or whatever the case may be. So, yeah. Thanks for that, guys. That's that's good insight, um, kind of into both of the, the processes, right? So, um, shifting gears a little bit, if what's your biggest advice for DIYers, and what are the pros and cons of using property management? I'll pass it to you first, Brad. Um, the pros are obviously hands-free, headache-free, worry-free. Um, we're dealing with pitfalls for you. We're dealing with 3 a.m. phone calls. We're dealing with the angry tenants, the knuckleheads. Um, those aren't becoming personal relationships of yours. Uh, most of the DIYers that we deal with, that we talk to before they make the transition, they all tell a similar story. One, oftentimes their property is undermarketed. So um, the price that they're charging is too little. Um, they love the little old lady or, or a person who lives there, or they're getting tired of the person who lives there telling them about their uh, ex-boyfriend and their new boyfriend and why their rent's late because their car broke down for the sixth week in a row. 
Um, and so, but they answer those calls by saying, yes, we'll give you two more weeks or three more weeks or four more weeks because they're a decent human being and, and uh, they, they can't imagine saying no in that situation because they remember in 1982 when their car broke down. So, so you'll be the bad guy there. You'll, you'll yeah, be like, grab me yeah, yeah. That's what we've been hired for. Exactly. I mean, like we just tell people, you know, we try, we're decent human beings. We try to be very reasonable and courteous and, and uh, conscientious and listen and do all of those fantastic things. But at the end of the day, uh, if Mitch hires me to, to handle his property and, and we're not collecting rent, we're not fixing things, we're not doing whatever, we're, we're not getting things done with the tenant, we should be fired. And so we tell the tenant that, like, I don't want to lose my job here. I, they, yeah. I don't want to get fired. So, um, and, and I can speak into that for you, Brad, so that you don't feel awkward, but Brad's got one of our properties that he manages and, and uh, the, you know, that tenant pays very, very well every month because he set that precedent on the front end. Hey, because I told him that, right? Hey, if you don't pay on the fifth, we're kicking you. That's, that's not what the former landlord was doing, but that is, that is our directive and, and Brad executes on that very well. Yeah, and that former landlord's a perfect example. He was a DIY guy and developed a relationship with this tenant to where the point where that tenant felt like they were very good friends, as did the landlord. The problem was the tenant kept borrowing money from the landlord by not paying. And so then he brought us on when, and I'm, I'll, I'm not going to talk out of, out of class here, but um, it is the most that's ever been owed on a rental property that we've ever taken over management on. Um, and not by, a, not by a slim margin, by double anything else we've ever taken at least, probably three or four times. And, uh, and then we started for him collecting and, and, and kind of being the bad guy um, with still a hint of good guy from the uh, previous owner's uh, directives. And then Mitch came to town, Mitch is a great guy. Um, but made it very clear, and we made it very clear uh, when the ownership changed hands that um, that rent was a paramount concern, and, and it's been very good since then. Um, so I'm going to tell you that as far as the pros is being dis, um, I just did disconnected from all of that and having the time to be able to focus your efforts on more important things, whether that be family, work, or the growth of your portfolio, not worried about chasing rents and twisting wrenches and fixing leaky toilets, right? So those are the pros, the cons. I mean, are you saying, are you looking for the cons of hiring a, a property manager, Mitch? Yeah, man, if you're, if you're comfortable sharing. There are zero. Um, <laughs> realistically speaking, of course, it's, it's the flip side of that. It's not being as involved. If you want to be really hands-on with repairs or um, with what is going on in the tenant's lives or why rent is late and things like that. Um, and some people need that level of connection, need that, um, that control. It's, it's not, it's probably not going to be a great fit um, because it's very, and I'm sure Ben would echo this and I'm sure Mitch, you would echo this. It's extremely difficult for us to do what we're supposed to do when the landlord is also in direct communication with the tenant, um, we try to tell the landlords for their benefit, we're trying to set up a firewall between you and your tenants. Everything they send your way bounces off that comes to us. If it gets through to you, tell them contact renters warehouse. Here's the phone number. Here's the email address. 
Um, and that's so we don't have two cooks in the kitchen. It's not because we want to do anything unseemly or, or take advantage of anybody or anything like that. It's just so that we can, we can have a singular uh, voice and a singular purpose in the way that we want to address things. But uh, if you have that desire to have that level of involvement, obviously um, having somebody else involved in the middle there is, is going to rob you of that uh, connection. Obviously, there's cost associated with what we do. We don't uh, deal with all these lovely difficulties um, for free. So there is cost associated and that eats into the margin on the properties. Um, I would tell you, and I think Ben would as well, and I suspect Mitch would as well, that um, there's, a good, there's a good reason for that cost and it's going to allow your portfolio to grow. Um, most people start to get choked out at three or four or five or six properties with a full-time job if they don't get somebody involved uh, on the management side because the weight of it just becomes too much. Uh, the day-to-day -day weight of it just becomes too significant. So uh, I don't know if I hit three cons there. I, I would argue that there probably aren't three total. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, man. Same, same question over you, Ben. What, what are the three pros and cons from your, your perspective, boss? Well, uh, Brad did a good job there. So obviously everything that Brad said is, is all true. One thing that I'd mention to everybody here is you're, you're talking to two reputable companies in the Des Moines metro area, companies that take pride in what they do. And like Brad said, they're just, we're just people trying to do a great job, perform at a high level, communicate in every second we can. I mean, it's, you know, 6.30 and we're on this call. So it's not an eight to five job. This is a job that requires whatever uh, is needed for the day. So no matter what, if you're working with Renters Warehouse or you're working with RPM Iowa, I can assure you the best intentions are there. It's not a perfect world though. So don't expect a property manager to always be perfect for you. But what you they won't can take those calls at 8.45 <laughs> and be out there in 15 minutes? Come on. <laughs> I guess it depends on who's calling. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, just don't expect perfection and just know that you know, you're, you're dealing with companies who want to do a great job and communicate at a really high level with you within reason. Just we have families and lives and stuff too, and, and so does our staff. So, uh, with that being said, uh, some of the cons obviously cost, like Brad said, you know, we do cost money. It's, it's the only way that it's a viable business, and we're not in this to break even. You know, we're in this to, to make a profit and, and get ahead in our lives. And maybe we want to do investing as well, and there's only one way to do that, and that's to make money. So, there is cost, but as we, as both companies on this call are, we're invested in you as the investor. So we want to make money when you make money. Our goal is not to bleed you dry. So cost is, is typically a non-starter for us because it's like, hey, I, what are you renting it for? 800, perfect. Well, we could rent it for 925 and we'll completely pay for our management service just inside of raising rents for you, lowering vacancy, keeping your maintenance costs down, you know, all that fun stuff. So when you hear costs, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to cost you on a monthly basis. So that's one involvement. Like Brad said, you know, your involvement drops slightly for a good reason though. I mean, that's why you're talking to us is to let us handle the stuff and you can get out of the way. If you think about, if you had to spend an hour or two, even thinking about your investment property, what's your hourly wage and what is that? What are you losing by doing that? And how much more could you possibly be doing in your job to make more money to buy more investments? So it's just a, it's not necessarily an involvement because uh, we'll call you, you know, we'll talk to you, we'll email you, we'll keep you posted on what's going on, but you don't have to stress about all the crap that's happening inside of the property or upcoming uh, that's going to be coming in the property. Um, and then flexibility, 
you know, every DIYer thinks that by the time they come on to us, we're, we're just this cookie cutter shop that doesn't have any flexibility and we're unreasonable and we're cold hearted. And that's not the case. That's just with both companies. I can guarantee you, especially COVID-19, I, I feel like proved that, um, there's only one way to get hundred percent rent collection. That's to be flexible. I mean, you, you can't do it by just sticking to the, the fifth of the month or the second of the month, every single month. So flexibility does not diminish. It, we just set expectations differently. We set them on the front end and we hold all the way until the breaking point and then we'll give and we'll be reasonable and we have souls and we're humans. So we need to sleep at night as well. So I don't think you actually lose flexibility, you gain flexibility because you, you have a standard to start from. Yeah, that protocol is really important and not being that enforcer of that protocol really, um, I know for me, so we, I have staff members that, that manage our properties. I do not physically manage them because exactly what you're explaining from the DIY side, that, that compassionate, oh yeah, you're my buddy, I want to help you out. That was a struggle for me, DIYing. So we had to build the staff around, nope, here's the protocol, here's how it happens. Um, and I have to be disconnected. I cannot be involved. I can be a hard ass sitting in my office. Um, not in front of a tenant though. I, I, it's, it's a character flaw. You got to walk, walk the talk. Yeah. <laughs> and for someone else's property, Oh, I can, I can go to the that, that, but when it comes to my own, I'm like, ah, it's different. <laughs> well, uh, do, three, other, three, other, go ahead. I'm sorry. Somebody was going to talk. No, go ahead. No. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, if you got more things, let's hear. I was just going to cover three more quick things. And I know Brad would definitely with his background, get on top of legal protection. I can't tell you how many times a new property comes on you look at the lease and you're like, Holy smokes, thank the Lord they didn't move out. Um, so just all kinds of stuff in legal protection ways with leases and, and addendums and deposit return, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. You're going to get exposed to different stuff here working with a management company, both uh, RPM and uh, renters where us are, are franchises. So we have the national exposure to stuff changing very quickly. I mean, all this stuff changing in California. Well, we are California. It's just going to take us about 10 years to get there. So all the stuff that we're seeing there, we get to learn now and maybe adopt some of the stuff and keep rent control out, do these different things to protect what we have here. So uh, legal protection is definitely a big one. Resident satisfaction on the front end, it seems like it might go down, but we find that it goes drastically up when you have a, when you bring on a new client and they have a tenant filled property, and they know that a management company is now looking out for them. The first thing they want to do is throw that landlord under the bus, right? They, he didn't fix this. She didn't do that, whatever. And now they have this, this company who can fix all of those things for them. So you end up turning this sometimes really bad situations into super positive scenarios because you get involved. And then our goal is to stay in touch with our residents. I mean, our goal is to have a 75% retention every year. A little, little of a stretch goal, probably not achievable, but you know, our goal is to achieve that. So it doesn't, we don't make money by turning properties. You know, it, it costs a lot of labor to turn properties. We want occupied properties quiet with the right expectations across the board. Um, and then last thing is market and leasing. If this kind of ties into the recommendation for DIYers that you asked, Mitch, uh, this is a huge one. If you are a DIYer, invest in a in a good camera i mean iphones are so good now uh, but you have to you just gotta you gotta take good pictures there's a statistic last year that came out seven out of ten residents wouldn't even go look at the home if they didn't like the pictures so you, your net just went down to three people 
and what are the chances that you're one of that that's that one person so good pictures is super important take time and write a good ad um, don't over be over dramatic in your ad be honest and just say what it is and and start those expectations in the ad it starts on the front end of what the property brings um, so those marketing is a huge one and I know that both companies on here we make money with occupied properties. So if we're not leasing, we're not getting paid. So I can assure you, marketing is something that we, we put at the forefront. It's the head of the snake for sure. And, and when you say good pictures, there's, there's a difference between good pictures and too good of pictures, right? Like you don't want to have the showcase, um, this is the great kitchen layout of this angle. And then you walk in there and it's actually a closet. You know what I mean? That's like, very true. Like they need to be accurate pictures, you know? Uh, but it, like, I'll give you, I know this is, I'll give it away here. Uh, iPhone 11s now have this 0.5 feature on them for their uh, camera. If you, as a DIYer, if you just have an iPhone 11 or upgrade yourself to an iPhone 11 and hit this 0.5 feature and, and stand at good angles, not deceiving angles, but good angles, you know, you're not taking a picture of a wall, you're taking a picture of a room. Uh, you will be blown away at the impact that it has and not having boxes and vacuums and stuff on the countertops and lights off, toilet seats down. Just Google a couple things and they will give you, you know, top tens of what to do to get your property prepped ready for pictures. And if you do those 10 things, you will be one of the premier properties out there for sure. There's, there's a lot of companies out there. There's been more, there's more now than ever before. You know, back in 2011, when I started doing this, there was, there wasn't a whole lot of us out there. Um, since then, there's quite a few. Read the reviews, look at their pictures, check out their website, just know a little bit about them uh, prior to let them lease your 250 or 200 or $150 or $100,000 asset. It's a lot of money that you're putting in their hands. And, and one thing to remember, guys, on the DIY side, reviews fluctuate, right? So a property manager that's got a five-star review um, might be great or might not be. There's, there's going to be a certain level of dissatisfied tenants, especially on the move-out process, when as property managers, we're playing that middleman, right? We have to protect the owner's asset. We also have to be fair and equal to our tenants. But in some cases, you know, you can't make everyone happy. And, and when a tenant disagrees with the security deposit, you can expect a bad review in a lot of cases. Uh, they don't have a lot of leash um, available to them. So that's, that's how they take it out. You hit the nail on the head there, there, Mitch. I mean, if you see five star, I always say the best thing to look at is the quantity and not necessarily the quality. If you look at a, a company that has over a hundred reviews, over 150 reviews, and, and you start reading through it, especially some of their recent ones, you know, last six months, year, two years, you keep an eye on those. You can really kind of tell of what that, how that company interacts with, with their folks and if they respond back and forth. Um, so volume of reviews for me is, is a pretty big measuring stick. And then you want some bad ones in there because this is an imperfect world. So if you put if it's all five stars, it's like, okay, what are these guys doing? Hiring reviews out there. You know, you want some real stuff, some tangible stuff because that stuff happens. You can't be perfect in every way. And, and also, everyone, remember this is Iowa, and in Iowa, there's a tendency to not ask for good reviews. Like, it's just, it's a thing. I, <laughs> and anything to add, Brad? I would add that uh, the bad review and the number, 
uh, as Ben was saying, the bad reviews are, are probably a reflection of um, that company doing precisely what you've asked them to do, uh, of standing in the way and, and making sure that the law is followed. Uh, Mitch hit the nail on the head with regard to security deposit dispositions. That's probably where, that's always a, a, a very a, a big conflict. Um, everybody always, in their opinion, leaves the property in lovely condition and we've got you know, a video for move in and a video for move out. And we compare the two bookends and tell you that that's certainly not the case. Um, but they always want to contest it uh, or at the very least leave their parting shot in a review online. Um, so, you know, that it happens, but uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I would echo Ben's sentiment, you know, and the other thing I would tell you too, and this is kind of where Ben started his last comment, but there's absolutely going to be mistakes. Uh, we are in the business of dealing with everybody else's problems that they want nothing to deal with, whether that's the tenant's problems, the landlord's problems, um, often both the same. Um, that's what we do. That's exactly what we deal with on a daily basis. And by the very nature of it, um, we're going to do the best we can. So if you find a manager and, and you know, like Ben said, RPM and, and, um, Renters Warehouse are both this type of, of company. Um, if you find a manager who's going to try hard and who's going to work uh, with your best interests in mind, and oftentimes your best interests are aligned with the tenants, and there are some times where they're divergent, um, if you find that, that manager who's going to do the best by you, um, you're going to want to stick with them. They're, that's a good partner to have in this business. Um, if you find one who tells you they'll never be a mistake, they'll never be an error, they'll never be anything. Um, they're lying to you. Get real comfortable with that real quick if you want to work with them because that's a lie. I mean, there's just no way that they're with any of with any level of value, there's no way that you could say that there's never gonna be a problem or that everything's ever gonna be done um, perfectly. And and uh, I had one one of a friend of mine who's involved in real estate said he was just talking. This is just an anecdote story, so bear with me. But he was just talking to another friend he knows that has 660 units under management. Um, so let's call it small to mid-sized multifamily. And according to that individual, um, they did not have one late rent payment in either April or May. Uh, during coronavirus. And of course, my friend's telling me this because, you know, I'm saying, well, we're at 84% right now, and then we got the 86 and then 88 and so on and so forth, similar to the numbers that Ben and I have shared thus far tonight. And so he's throwing that in my face like this dude, you know, got 660 out of 660 uh, by the fifth. I said, well, he's lying. I mean, there's, and Mitch, Ben, is that possible? It's very, very unlikely. Very, very unlikely, yes. Uh, he, no, he might I, be managing uh, all government subsidized, 100%. Uh, that's not, <laughs> it'd be almost the opposite of no guaranteed rents. Well, yeah. I, I would say that's not possible. I'd, I'd be willing to go there, yeah. Uh, one one. DIY suggestion um, is, you know, when, when, when you're considering management, right, you don't have to move all of your properties to any singular manager. You know, there's, there's definitely a phase in process and sometimes that relationship needs to be built over time, not straight out of the gate. Don't, don't ever 
hedge all of your funds in the one basket, right? And the other part of that is it's good to see kind of the process difference um, of utilizing different companies. So not only process, but what's that lease look like? You know, uh, Brad and Ben, I'm sure you guys handle late fees differently. Who keeps them, who doesn't? I, I don't know, I'm assuming. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of pieces in there. And rental standards are likely different. I'm sure you guys' rental standards are written down and, and very specific. But, and, and again, it's likely that they're flexible. Um, I know from our management portfolio, we say not flexible. Rental standards are rental standards. These are in place to protect you as an owner. Um, and it's a best practice. I'm not willing to take you on. Well, we're not taking on anyone. But we weren't willing to take on management unless it was by this very cookie-cuttered management style. Um, and, and, and that's fine. It's, it, it, we, as property managers, we don't need to make everyone happy. And it's a disservice to try to do that because by doing that, we discredit what we're doing. We can't provide a, a consistent level at that, at that pace. Yeah, that's well said, Mitch. I, and there's so many times where Brad's taken a property from us and, and we've taken a property from him or other companies. And that's, I mean, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's, it happens. Like we can't be the imperfection conversation comes back, right? Like let's say Brad goes through the nitty gritty of something and he's the one who ends up looking like the bad guy. I'm going to win in that scenario because I look like the, you know, the gold standard. But in reality, if I would have been in the, in his shoes, the same thing would have happened. So it's sure. all the time that stuff happens. Now there are some out there. I will say that for sure, you know, they are substandard, you know, <laughs> yeah. but you can, you can find that out yourself. And I always say when I'm sitting on a management appointment, shop around, like look at reviews, look at people's websites, call them, talk to them. Can you actually ask them for advice and not just them selling you on their service or trying to tell you something about what their company is like? You can tell usually pretty quick within just a couple minutes of what that company is going to be like or who you're talking to. So yeah, I'm, this is a good point, Mitch, for sure. And when you call into a company, that first person that you're talking to is probably who your tenants are talking to as well. So keep that in mind. That's that's a great weed out um, mentally. I know, uh, I'll speak candidly, in preparation for this, I called a handful of other companies here in town. Never heard back from them, which I find ironic. You know, uh, I'm glad you guys are on here. Don't, don't hear that wrong. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you something just... Uh, from in, a, in, in my world, we have, you know, there's marketing platforms, right, that you, you pay for to try to be at the top in different places. The number one competitor, really the only competitor that I go against in those marketing platforms is Brad. And that's because we're both intentional about our business and go about a certain way. There's another 25 companies that you don't see on that list. And then we do, um, we do an audit. You know, every year we call around and we see who answers and who doesn't. And you, it blows your mind when you're a new client, who calls back and who doesn't, or does it take two days or five days or five minutes? It's incredible. Um, so you, response time actually, I think, speaks volumes to that person's capability to answer their phone on a normal day-to-day -day basis. Absolutely. And, and I can tell you, so 2016, we were shopping. We were trying to make the decision, are we going to build out the self-management platform or are we going to hand this off? Um, and, and, and Brad, as well as RPM, you guys were the only responses in a timely manner. Um, and I know our, our one of the properties that we were shopping at the time just didn't fit Ben's portfolio. So um, 
I want to I want to shoot a high acolyte to these guys as, as a group. You know, if if people are asking for referrals, this is this is where we're pushing them already um, from from our experience with both companies. So appreciate that, Mitch. Take all the referrals you give. Is from the group side uh, any any questions? Feel free to mic on or um, just just drop a chat, and we'd be happy to happy to field them. We've got one question that came in um, that we didn't cover. Do you guys think that uh, COVID-19, will more people work from home as a result of this? If so, do you see a demand increasing uh, for a working room or an office space? From my perspective, I, I mean, I definitely think, I think we're gonna see a real shift um, on the commercial um, office space, retail space. Um, and, and I think for the, for the negative, um, and if you own those properties and, and, uh, I, I think that'll be, it'll level out though after time, but I think we're going to see a, a, an immediate response to this where people are all of a sudden, you know, I made the comment earlier, I wish I didn't own my own building because I realize a lot of my employees can now work from home. Um, uh, kind of trying to be funny, not necessarily successfully, but, um, but I think that we are going to see some of that. I don't necessarily know that it, it's, I bet it will, you would see more of an impact on some of the higher end um, properties that, that we have and that Ben has um, with regard to, you know, having that, that dining room that can also be an office or that extra space. Um, it seems to me that some, it just depends. What jobs are we going to see more from home? You know what? What's the level and the nature of that job, and and where do they fit in the tenant profile world? Um, certainly not service industry. Certainly not um, restaurant. Certainly not as hospitality. None of those jobs are are switching. So some of those are unfortunately closing, um, but there'll be other restaurants to come in and replace them. So um, I think it, it. I think probably in the higher end, to see a little bit of demand for that. Um, but I think we've already seen that. I think we're already seeing a lot more location neutral um, long before uh, coronavirus reared its ugly head. You know, what's interesting about that, Brad, is we've actually had in the last 30 days more requests for like Cat5 to be installed or things directly tied to home businesses. And, you know, we're pretty exclusive, no home business if it's a service-based, you know, daycare, that type of stuff. But if you're you know, you're running a sales machine out of your, your den, of course. Um, so that I didn't really piece that together until you just mentioned that, but yeah, I mean, we've had probably 10 requests for that this month, which is abnormal. I mean, we'd hardly ever get that type of, uh, that type of request. Awesome responses. Guys, we had another question come in. Um, when taking on new clients, how are you guys evaluating uh, home value right now? Has that changed from physically going to the location? Um, or are you doing some kind of virtual? And also, of course, you know, where are we coming out from the rent side? Is it going up? Is it staying neutral? Seeing I suspect Ben will probably echo this, but we're I mean, we do a lot of analysis on a, on the rental. I'm assuming we're meeting on the rental case from the yep. So what's yep. this kind of rent for? Um, we do I mean, when we're on a call with the prospective 
buyer of a property or they've got a property that they've already purchased, they want to know what to rent for or whatever the case may be. Um, we take a look at either the listing, if there is a listing, that's ideal because we get a little better sense of the property. Um, otherwise, we take a look at the assessor's page and identify, you know, beds, baths, square footage, location, so on and so forth. Um, and then able to start an analysis at that point in time, which we then supplement later on when we're able to, whether that's the next day or, or a week later or whatever, when we're able to get into the property. Um, obviously, with coronavirus, that has put potentially some delay with regard to getting into properties, especially if they're currently tenant occupied because we're trying to limit the amount of exposure for everybody involved, including the tenants. Um, if they're vacant though, usually you can get in there pretty quickly. So I don't know, it really hasn't, Ben, I guess I'd like to hear, I'd be interested in hearing your response. It hasn't necessarily drastically changed our process in that respect, unless there's an occupied property and there's a concern with social distancing. Have you seen uh, dollars change at all? Average rent rates or is that? No, I wouldn't say so. I would say that uh, rent rates are on their average steady, um, slight improvement from uh, from the winter uh, weather into this lovely uh, Seattle weather that we've had for the last <laughs> 10 days. Um, but no, I, I would, we're in that seasonal improvement, I would say as well as the overall year-to-year -year gradual um, improvement. We may see if, if investment dollars change and, um, and uh, interest rates and things like that affect the market on a more global perspective, we may see rents level off a little bit um, in the next 6, 12, 18 months, depending on the longevity of, of uh, COVID-19. Um, but. I would say it's probably too early to tell that, but in the short term, month to month, season over season, I would say we haven't uh, noticed <clears throat> significant depression at all. Yeah, I would say about the same thing um, front to back there. The, the, on new client appointments, I would say some of them have been affected, but for the most part, not really. You know, we just keep our distance, we're just smart, we wash our hands, we use hand sanitizer. We wipe stuff down. They let us in. We walk through it. If it's an occupied property, of course, we'll figure out another way to make that happen. Um, we'll delay it. We'll do whatever we have to do to make it work. So hasn't had a drastic impact on the, the new business side of things. More Zoom calls and video calls than I've ever done before, which was a, that was a change for me. You know, I'm, I'm pretty face to face as much as possible. Um, and then the second thing you were asking about rent rates. I would say I haven't seen any change in the market the, except for, and it's because we were just in it so much on the top side, it started to plateau a little more. Um, we were, our properties that rent for over 3000 a month have been a lot harder to move this year because I just, I think that clientele is being, I mean, they're wise. If you're in, you would think, if you're in that demographic, you're probably pretty wise. And so you're probably choosing to be a little more conservative right now and not make some big, some big changes. So renting anything over 29.95 right now is pretty difficult. And I would even say between 25 and 29 is difficult. So kind of that sweet spot that still moves really, really well, 25 and under, you don't really see any impacts. You still see the appreciation each year. Fantastic insights, guys. Thanks for those. 
Hey, uh, Thomas, it looks like your mic's open. Did you want to ask a question, buddy? Yeah, hey, Mitch, thanks. I, I did have a question, and it's not COVID-related at all. So um, I, I constantly see all of the new apartment construction going on, you know, downtown, off of the MLK, you know, uh, extensions and things like that. Can, can anybody speak to the effect that all of these new, apart, new, new apartment construction is possibly going to have on the, the single-family rental market? I think Brad's probably going to have a little bit more insight than me on this, but from my, uh, my angle, we're separated from it. So we don't feel a, a drastic impact from it. It's a pretty saturated market. It seems, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there and they're giving stuff away from my purview. Um, but it hasn't affected the single family home market in our world really at all. Maybe some of the lower end condos, you know, the rent for around a thousand bucks or 1100, they're obviously going to be competing with places that have amenities and, and different things. But once you get into a, a two bed, three bed, single family with a yard, you're just talking to a different type of person usually. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, but Thomas, it's a good, it's a very good question. And I think uh, my memories, I'm getting old, but I think 2017, we saw a record number of apartments downtown and then 18 broke that record, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, and so now I think we're still feeling that a little bit. And, and we, as, as Ben correctly identified, um, certainly in the higher end single family homes, you're not gonna see any disruption because of that, maybe because of other market factors uh, as Ben identified with regard to coronavirus and things like that. But uh, um, in response to the, the development downtown, probably not in the more, let's say, entry level uh, single family rentals to that mid-level, you know, of that, let's say a thousand to 1600, 1700, you're gonna see some impact, but there again, the folks that are looking for that single family are looking for it for a reason. They want their own four walls. They don't want somebody above them, below them, beside them. They want that yard. They want that driveway that they can park right outside the kitchen or the garage or whatever the case may be. So they're kind of looking for a different product. Now, where we've seen the big impact, though, is, for example, we have some properties that we manage in, like, some, some small multifamily, 8, 12-unit properties in, like, uh, Ingersoll or maybe just south of downtown, um, things like that. That's been tough. And even though what they're building downtown are these fantastically expensive, over $2 a square foot, just you know, really breaking records with regard to the rents that they're commanding. It's arguable whether or not they're achieving them at the, on the front end, because what they're doing is, let's say that that's a 750 square foot, I don't know, one bed, one bath, that's $1,600 or whatever the case may be. Um, what they're doing to get that rented is giving two or three months concession on that because it doesn't show up in the rent roll. It still shows up as a $1,600 a month property when they go to refinance or better yet, sell it. Um, so, and it can show up as an advertising cost or a concession on the front end that really doesn't, isn't treated the same by a prospective investor or a bank who's looking at it. Um, and so, so what they're doing there is, so if you get three months free rent at $1,600 a month, 
I probably should have thought about this before I did it so I could make easier numbers, but let's see, that would be $4,800. So over the course of a year, that would be $400 per month, right? So really your effective rent rate, actually the numbers worked out all right. Um, your effective rent rate for that property over the course of a year, lease term would actually be $1,200 a month, $400 less per month, as opposed to that 1,600. Well, the problem with that then is now, they've created a, a situation where somebody who was previously looking at 1,000 to 1,200 for a prospective property can now look at this 1,600 because they can get this deal. And so now we're starting to take those people from that 1,200 and get them into this 1,600 um, if they manage their money right and recognize the advantage of that $1,200 um, effective rent. And so now the people who have the $1,200 properties are now having to go out and say, okay, well, we'll give you two months free rent. And that's starting to pick at the people who are looking at maybe 950 a month rentals. I'm not gonna do all the math again. <laughs> but, but and so it does have a ripple or a butterfly effect um, that can be felt even in those 800, $900, you know, two bed, two bath apartments that are, you know, certainly nice properties, um, maybe in the Ingersoll area or, or wherever it may be even though they're not a direct competitor with that $1,500 a month, 700 square, 50 square foot, uh, one bed, one bath, it still gets down to where it's affecting these. And so you're seeing um, on properties like that, you're seeing uh, concessions, aggressive concessions being offered across the board um, and things, you know, move in free month rent, no, don't pay rent for the first two months, whatever the case may be. It's amazing to me on that note, we get more response if we give away a $200 TV than if we give a, rent, a month's rent for free, which yeah. blows my mind. <laughs> Evidently, that's, that's, that's what the market responds to. So. What about security deposits? How are you guys handling those, and what is your recommendation? Month's rent, two months' rent, $500 kind of varies? or We deal with some owners who are – we do some placement for some um, apartment, uh, some higher end properties that uh, once you add up all of their fees, if you charge one or two months rent up front, it starts to be cost prohibitive to get into the property. So, um, but it's very hard for me to recommend to an owner having less than a month's rent as coverage because um, you're increasing the tenant's commitment to the condition of that property. Um, if they cause, if they have $500 uh, deposit because you wanted to grease the wheels to get them in the door on a $1,250 a month rental, as soon as they punch that first hole in that first wall in a stupid mistake or whatever, their level of commitment, if they think that you're not coming after them for a judgment after the fact or anything like that, has just really diminished down to like the $150 that's remaining on that. Um, so their level of commitment to the, the continued care and their pride of residence and taking care of that unit um, has probably diminished with it. So from my perspective, trying to manage the interest of the property owner, it's very difficult to, to um, encourage a, a, a concession on the security deposit because I, I find it's, it plays a very important role. That's awesome. Ben, I'll give you the last word on that. And then I know we're over time a little bit. I want to be respectful for everyone's time. Uh, so we'll do a soft close, but would love to hear your insights on that, Ben. 
Yeah, I would echo what Brad's saying. Our standard is one month's rent no matter what uh, when they come on board. Uh, but that's just kind of a precedent that's set up front. And if it, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit what we're doing. So I would always make that recommendation to anybody. Everything that's Brad saying is exactly right. The maximum you can charge in the state of Iowa is two months rent. So if you have somebody with, with low rent or with low credit or something like that, you want to give them a shake, ask them for two months is always a good thing. And, and I, uh, I tend, we tend to be the type of company who wants to give the best of the worst a shot. You know, so we're not opposed to to putting to bringing up the hey double deposit. Yeah, you got some contingencies, but let's let's try a double deposit. Can you do it? And a lot of those folks, we find a lot of those folks, they know they're in a tough spot. They know they got a history. They know they got bad credit, and so they have a little extra cash hanging out, and and they're willing to put it up and say, yeah, I'm going to be a good tenant for you. So, uh, highly recommend at least one month's rent. Um, if anything, I would go a little higher on the deposit, lower on rent. And the reason I say it is with COVID nineteen rent uh it could get like finding good tenants we don't know what's gonna what this world's gonna look like in 60 days or 90 days so maybe tenants do get harder to find uh, so it might be good to get somebody locked in now with a higher deposit than it would be to capitalize on the rent necessarily so it's totally up to you one month's rent's a good standard to follow agreed and ben how how would you recommend people get in touch with you if you'd like if if they'd like to Absolutely. So I answer my cell all day, every day. I typically uh, try to stop around five o'clock as much as possible to returning calls. That is always make sure the voicemail is empty before the end of the day. So 515-499-4238 is my, that's my direct line. My email is fantastic. Ben at RPM Iowa. I'm sure it was on some of the, the data or the sheets that you spent out there, uh, Mitch, and then our website. Website's fantastic. Um, you just click on it. You're no more than two clicks away from where you need to get to ever. So website, email, phone, doesn't matter. I'll get a hold of you. Perfect. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And Brad, how would you recommend folks get in touch with you, buddy? Same way. Uh, Brad at renterswarehouse.com is uh, my email. My uh, phone number here at the office is 515-528-4429. Uh, that'll get you directly to my staff, which is better than getting directly to me because they'll actually make sure I do whatever it is you want me to do. Um, and then uh, which one? Uh, the website, renterswarehouse.com. So. Perfect. Perfect. So those those resources will be pushed out. They'll be in the show minutes for this. Um, guys, I really, really want to thank you for taking the time. I know we're over, so thanks for the extra time that you, you gave us. Um, and we hope to have you back. And, and for everyone in the audience still, if you're thinking about property management, reach out to these guys, ask the questions. Um, they're not gonna make you sign a contract out of the off of initial call. So definitely give them a call, guys. And, and guys, I, I, one last thing I just wanna recommend, make some calls out to some lenders, some commercial lenders right now. Cause there's, there's some pretty good opportunity out there that I've been finding some folks who wanna move some money if you're a well-qualified investor and maybe get in get in now while people are hungry to get, get lent, get money lent to folks. But thanks for the opportunity, Mick, Mitch. Goodbye. You bet guys. Thanks Mitch. Appreciate it, man. Everybody who joined in, we appreciate that as well. And uh, have a great night. Thanks guys. See ya. So next month, um, just real quick next month, we will do um, looks like the Facebook group is asking to talk with attorneys. So we're going to get a couple of attorneys on the line next month. Um, I, I don't I mean, think you're qualified, too, what, What's that? I'm sorry? 
You want me on that one too? I, I mean, if you want to talk to it, buddy, sure. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've got a couple guys in mind, both national and local, but um, all good, get as many opinions as we can. So what I'd ask from the group is if you have specific questions for the attorneys, let's start getting those to the Facebook group so I can kind of hone in, you know, it's, it's a specialized field. So I want to get in front of everyone, the right attorneys to answer the right questions. So just, just think into that. There'll be a, a poll that comes out kind of guiding those questions a little bit, but definitely reach out, let us know who you want to hear from. Uh, and we appreciate it. So thanks guys. Have an awesome night. Have a good night. Thank you.